Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about theological priorities. But before we jump into that topic, I want to remind you of uh, what's happening over here at PeaceWorks and ways in which uh, you can uh, be part of the PeaceWorks family. Uh, If you are enjoying what you hear on the PeaceWorks podcast, then your best next step is PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership site for people helpers. And uh, it is um, full of material, uh, more fleshed out material than what you hear here on the podcast. And uh, you can find more about that at chrismoles.org. We would love to have you in PeaceWorks University. Uh, There is a vault of past material uh, from myself, hours upon hours of video-based content that's available for you there. You can learn more again at chrismoles.org. All right, guys. Well, uh, welcome back to the podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Something that's been rolling around in my mind, I thought I would share it with you all today, is how our theological priorities can get us into trouble, especially in this area of domestic abuse. And when I talk about theological priorities, I mean uh, what we value when we move forward in addressing domestic abuse within the church. Let me try to unpack what I mean by that. I've worked with so many churches over the years who, when presenting a case of domestic abuse and their attempts to address the abuse, there are a series of priorities for the churches that are handling the cases poorly that kind of stick out like a sore thumb. And the expectations placed on the victim and on the perpetrator While there may be some healthy aspects to those expectations, they're inferior to some other aspects of theology that I think would do a a much greater service to everyone involved. I'm going to unpack three, and uh, hopefully it'll be helpful to you today, and you can let me know um, if if you found this helpful or accurate. The, The first is this. Theological priority number one that I would suggest a church have is to really operate from a theology of love. What I mean by that is oftentimes churches tend to operate out of a theology of authority. Now, authority is a good concept. There's concepts regarding authority in the scripture, how we're supposed to respect authority, how we're supposed to follow authority, etc. But a lot of times what I find is that the concepts of sacrificial love, other-centeredness, genuine compassion and concern, all of those concepts that I think come underneath a theology of love, the way in which the Bible calls us to love one another, are sometimes pushed aside for this theology of authority. This is most seen in the work that I do when pastors are, um, are bullies or our pastors are practicing aspects of abuse. Uh, There's this idea that the position that they're in is more important than the calling that they've received. The same is true oftentimes when we're talking about husbands and wives. Sometimes churches will really overvalue what they consider to be a husband's authority 
without valuing the theological constructs associated with a husband's calling. So let me try again to, to walk through this a little bit more thoroughly. So let's say the, a case of domestic abuse is presented to you, you're sitting on the elder board, and one of the elders, whoever's leading the meeting, one of the leaders, is just insistent on this idea of scriptural authority, who's in charge. And while they're talking about who's in charge, there's some good things there. There's some things that are biblically accurate there. But the check in your spirit is, then why aren't we holding the authority accountable? That's what I'm talking about, is oftentimes we get the cart before the horse, as it were. We don't have our ducks in a row or whatever other metaphor you'd like to use. And we value this theology of authority over the calling of Christ on the leader's life to love. Quick fix. Let's prioritize God's calling on our life, this clear scriptural teaching to love one another. A couple things just to, to think about in that regard. Consider 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage, and think through all the ways in which love operates in the life of a believer, the ways in which we are called to love and to live with another. If our authority figure is living inconsistently with those principles, are they not living inconsistently with the scripture? Is their authority, does their authority carry any weight if they have no practical application of love in their life? Are they an authority worth following if love is absent? Think about marriage and passages like um, Colossians 3 or Ephesians 5 and the clear calling for husbands to love. Do we jettison the concepts of biblical love um, because this person happens to have um, some form of leadership attached to their name or headship attached to their name? I think that's the priority that I would like to encourage churches to, to value. Let's really flesh out our theology of love rather than just running to our theology of authority. In fact, when you have a theology of authority without a theological construct of love, can abuse be present? I think the answer is yes. But if you have a well-formed theology of love, understanding what Christ has called us to as believers, then abuse cannot fit into that framework, right? The idea here is that abuse is such a uh, stark contrast to a theology of love that again, it sticks out like a sore thumb. So let's make love a priority. Let me give you another one, and this is another area that I think um, churches and church leaders, we really struggle with, and that is having a theology of gender roles that is greater than a theology of marriage. Now, I'm not opposed to having a theology such as um, complementarity that believes in you know, gender-specific activity. I can totally see how we get there, and there's varying degrees of it. There's a biblical um, robustness to it. My dilemma is we often elevate that theological construct of general complementarity or gender roles above what God has called individuals to in marriage. And sometimes what ends up happening in discussions with churches is we are so focused on being a good complementarian church that we fail to see that the marriage is um, inconsistent, that the aspects of the marriage 
are deviating from the principles of Scripture. That yes, of course, uh, we can hold these theological concepts of headship and submission, but again, can they be absent from the principles laid down in marriage, such as the provisional nature of marriage and the uh, servant nature of marriage and the relational nature of marriage and the covenantal nature of marriage? Has God not given us a plethora of information, like a, a lot of information about marriage from Genesis all the way through the New Testament? I think the answer to that is yes. And while there are gender-specific passages within those and gender-specific callings within those, do they somehow outweigh the totality of a theology of marriage? Are they not a component, right, rather than the, um, the main thing? And I think that's where sometimes we get in trouble. So let me try to give an example of that. So here we have a case that's presented, and let's say that I'm working the case and the church presents the case where the husband is abusing the wife. And I articulate that his abuse is breaking the covenant. He's violating this long-standing understanding of marriage as a relationship of mutuality where the partners are coming together to bring these, these aspects, what we call the wedding vows, together. And he's actively violating that covenant. And that case falls on deaf ears as some of the leaders go, yeah, but he's called to lead. He's called to be the head. As if this idea of headship and submission somehow trumps the calling and the expectations of the people in the marriage or the marriage itself becomes elevated or uh, to, or I should say reduced to simply practicing gender roles rather than seeing it as a covenantal relationship to honor God as two people who reflect Christ's relationship to the church. So the theological priority here would be to, why don't we prioritize the theology of marriage? Yes, that those gender roles will fall into that, but they will not supersede that. I hope that makes sense. I've seen this so many times. It would be nice to, uh, to have these theological priorities, these big rocks, as we come into discussing topics of domestic abuse to say, well, you know what? Love absolutely is going to trump authority and marriage is going to trump um, this view of gender roles. Well, here's a third, third priority to think about. What about our theology of violence? Our theology of violence. I don't even like that term. I would much rather talk about a theology of peace, but unfortunately, a lot of our churches and discussions that we have revolve around the idea of what's acceptable. I am amazed um, more and more the older I get where the number of church boards, leaders, ministry leaders, and counselors are not concerned by coercion and threat and fear and have somehow reduced violence to only physical assault. And there's not a well thought out view of violence other than, other than a seemingly theological priority of what some might call redemptive violence. That violence is somehow justified when it crosses this point. And it is quite frankly, if I, if I can just be completely bold here, hopeful, hopefully this will not um, completely destroy the podcast, but is it not true that most of these theological principles of redemptive violence, that a little bit of violence is okay, 
is far more related to the church's political motivations than it is our theological motivations. That we've somehow come to the conclusion that in individual relationships, intimate relationships, intimate partner relationships can somehow have a little bit of violence as long as that violence is redemptive or constructive. Well, I would challenge the notion that violence is redemptive or constructive at all. But, and you may be thinking, does anyone really say that? And I think the answer I would have to give is yes. Many uh, leaders who have worked cases of domestic violence have somehow shrugged their shoulders at this idea that a little bit of violence is okay. Now, when I say violence, I mean the use of coercion and threat as well as the actual use of physical force. I'll give you an example. If I threatened you with a gun, right? I pointed a gun at you and threatened you and gave you an ultimatum, you would probably do that ultimatum. Some would say, well, Chris didn't hurt you. He didn't use violence against you because you were never touched. However, in my mind, I did use violence against you. I used the threat of force, the threat of death to coerce you into conformity. To me, that is the very definition of violence. This is the conversation that Jesus is having with his people in Matthew chapter 5, is the very threat of violence and how to peaceably resist that. This is what many in the church were experiencing through their nonconformity uh, to the demands of the empire. I bring this up because so many discussions we have about domestic abuse and domestic violence boil down to this idea of a little bit of violence is okay. Well, he hasn't touched her. He's only threatened her or coerced her or she's, she's afraid, but he really hasn't proven that he's going to do anything. And I think that is um, awful, quite frankly. And it's something that should be confronted. And rather than having this theology of redemptive violence or constructive violence or acceptable violence, I would recommend we have a theology of peace. Are we really valuing the presence of peace in our relationships? Are we really looking for means to live peaceably with each other? Let me give you one last example of how the redemptive violence piece plays out. I've had many discussions with churches who at the disclosure of domestic abuse have formulated plans that involve trying to scare the abuser, threatening the abuser uh, by taking the biggest deacon or the big group of guys and letting him have it, you know, letting him know what'll happen if he actually uh, touches his wife again or harms his wife again. The problem with that is that this idea that violence can somehow be used to redeem is not uh, redemptive at all, but in reinforcing the worldview. It is saying to this abusive person that we are now in, in charge. We are now the abusers, and we will cause you to conform through our threats of violence. All it is doing is saying that might is right. The bigger and the badder win, and that is not the calling of the Christian church who's called to restore people with gentleness. Yes, we have consequences. We have resources. Uh, I think one of the reasons why Romans 12, which is such a great peace passage, is followed up by Romans 13, the government passage, is because God has given an agent of wrath, and that's the government. And so we do have recourse. If there does need to be some acts of violence or coercion or threat enacted against the perpetrator, it needs to come from the criminal from the criminal side. Yes, if you violated the law, there's an agent of wrath that can fulfill that duty. 
But for too long, I think we talk too much about how can we use our power to control this situation rather than how can we as people of peace, right, exist within the consequences, within the work, care for the safety and sanity of this victim and hold this person accountable. I would just recommend that churches value a theology of peace over a theology of violence. Uh, I would recommend that we have a robust theology of marriage that is more than just gender roles and that we have a theology of love that trumps this idea of unquestioned authority. Well, I hope that was to some degree beneficial. We do need theological priorities, not just in cases of domestic abuse, but I think in the life of the Christian church. My hope is that you are growing not only in your knowledge of domestic abuse intervention and prevention, but you're also growing in your love for Jesus and for his word and for his heart for people. Uh, We serve a wonderful Savior whose heart is for love, his heart is for people within institutions like marriage, and his heart is for peace. Thank you again for joining the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, God bless.